0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. So Paul says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. That they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. And just over the page on chapter 4, beginning of verse 1, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, once again, we are grateful for this morning, for this opportunity to be together, to get this uh, picture of being part of something much larger than ourselves. Father, we thank you for your word, this letter that was penned so long ago. Father, we pray that you would speak through your word this morning and transform our lives and draw us closer to Jesus. We pray these things in his name and to your glory. Amen. So I I, want to start out with uh, with these words this morning because you have to listen to these words because they're not my words, they're Christ's words. So even if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, right? you will at least heard this. So here's what what Jesus says, and it's actually the the words of a a prayer. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Here, Jesus is praying not just for himself or even for the disciples right in front of him, but he is praying for the generations of disciples who are yet to come. In other words, he's praying for a church that doesn't exist yet, for, for people who don't believe yet, for individuals who haven't even been conceived yet. In other words, this is a prayer for you, and this is a prayer for me. This is a prayer for Temple Bible Church, Sunday, the 20th of January, 2013, and here is what Jesus prays. He says, I pray that all of them at Temple Bible Church may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given Temple Bible Church the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that Temple Bible Church may be brought to complete unity. Jesus could have prayed for anything for us, right? He could could have prayed that we would be successful. wherever we. He could have prayed that we would always be the influential ones in, in whatever society we belong to, wherever we were, but he doesn't pray any of that. What he prays, he prays for one thing. He prays that we would be one, that we would be united. It's Christ's prayer for the generations of disciples, of believers to come, including us, is that we would be one and that we would be united. As we go through this series in Timothy, which we've entitled Generations, we're going to hear echoes of this prayer. We're going to hear echoes of this prayer as, as, as Paul put, a prayer that echoed in the Apostle Paul's heart and as he puts pen to paper to write to the very next generation of leader, the young pastor Timothy, as he puts pen to paper, this is a prayer that is going to echo down through the generations to us. And, and it really does. You, you know what uh, Gary has been praying for this church from, from day one? He's been the senior pastor of this church for over 30 years now. Isn't that incredible? And, and the, when he first showed up here, TBC had about 40 people. Can you imagine this place, just 40 people? And so from day one and ever since then, he's been praying, God, would you make Temple Bible Church really, really, really big so that I can be really, really famous? So that No. <laughs> so he's, he hasn't he been praying. You know he hasn't. That's not his, he's going to pass this heart. And what he's been praying, he's been praying for this. But he's been praying for this. This He's been praying for unity in in this body. Unity for the leadership, unity for the body. The elders have always been praying this. It's something that I've been praying for this church since I got involved with TBC. Way back when, in the 1st of September, 1998. First of September, 1998 was when Julia and I first came to Temple Bible Church, got involved. And we have been praying this from day one. And I know many of you hold this at the forefront of your prayers. Well, it's a good prayer to pray, right? We, We know this. God give unity to the deacons, to the elders, to the staff. Give unity to this body of believers here in Temple, Texas. If you don't, you know, if you don't pray for anything else for TBC, I mean, if you don't pray for anything else, please pray for that. Please pray for that. As as we look at these uh, couple of sections in chapter one and chapter four this morning, um, what we're going to see is Paul confronting a specific threat to that unity. It, it's a very familiar situation. Once again, these false teachers have risen up through the ranks of the church and, and, are now, and are now threatening to divide the body of Christ through their teaching. Now, it's true, we don't really know all the details about exactly what it was these people were teaching. We don't have those specifics. You know, you know just to give you an idea of what goes on behind the scenes. Pull back the curtain for a second. Before Gary and I ever teach a series like this, we always sit down together and, and we map it out. We look, we look through chapter after chapter, break the chapters down into smaller sections, and, and we discuss the, the major themes that pop up in, in, in this letter or the book that we're going through. And, and we order a stack of commentaries and we go through those commentaries. And, and as I went through those commentaries, what I noticed was there was really no agreement or consensus on what exactly these people were teaching. We don't have those specifics, but there are still a couple of things we can say about them. Just two things, so you can note this down. The first thing we can say about these teachers is is that what they were teaching was not really something that could be substantiated or corroborated or authenticated. In other words, it wasn't something that you and I could sit down and have a reasoned discussion and debate over the facts and evidence for. And the reason why we couldn't do that is because there was no reason, there were no facts and evidence, because Paul says they were devoted to myths, to endless genealogies. He says in four, to old wives' tales, to speculations. Myths, genealogies, speculations, old wives' tales. These are the cluster of words that Paul uses to describe these teachers and their teaching. That's the first thing. The second thing that we can say about these teachers is a little counterintuitive. It almost kind of contradicts what I just told you. Because out of the murkiness of these uh, myths and genealogies, out of the vagueness of these, what you could call urban legends and and folklore, grew grew a surprising amount of dogmatism. Isn't that strange? How how people can sometimes get so dogmatic, they get so dogmatic uh, about about something so vague and, and, uh, and murky. But, but Paul says they had turned this stuff into doctrine, verse 3. That they were devoted to this stuff, verse 4. That they confidently, confidently affirmed and asserted this stuff, verse 7. Doctrine, devotion, confident assertion. These are the cluster of words that Paul uses to describe these teachers and their attitude towards their teaching. Like I said, it's a little counterintuitive. You wouldn't expect one to produce the other. But there we have it. If we gather up the vocabulary that Paul uses in these sections... This is precisely the picture that we get. And Paul says, through this, through all of this, they were dividing the body of Christ. Like we read in chapter 4 just now, right? Suddenly you had some people, you had some people who were, who were forbidding people to marry, and you, had, and you had others who were saying, you can't eat this kind of food. They were forbidding certain kinds of food. And, and so there was division in the body of Christ. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, whenever someone new joins the staff team, and uh, I think Mark Rojas was our, our latest addition a couple of years ago, or, or whenever someone uh, hears about our staff team, maybe they're even on staff at another church someplace else, they're always surprised to discover that our staff team has a whole list of things that we really disagree on. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff we disagree on. Uh, some, some of it's theological, some of it's philosophical, some of it's ideological, some of it's political, some of it's methodological. There is a whole list of things that we disagree on. And just to make life a little more interesting, instead of just politely ignoring those things, we discuss that stuff, and, and sometimes the, the conversation becomes, uh, you know, pr- pr- we, we get into it, right? We go at it. It becomes pretty fierce. And people always tell me, well, surely you, you know you have to be united around this stuff. You know, Surely the leadership of a church, the staff and elders, and de- you have to be united around this stuff because if, if, you, if you're not, this is going to lead to dissension and disunity and, and trouble in the rest of the body. You'll be divided as a body of believers. That's never going to work. But the truth is we don't agree on this stuff, never have done, and the chances are on a bunch of these things, doesn't matter how long we talk about it, we never will do. You know, you know something that Gary told me. Uh, he's told me this several times. He says, "Stephen, he says, you and I think nothing alike. You and I think nothing alike." And and, and uh, you know what that means, right? When when someone, when your boss tells you this, what it usually means is you've got to start looking for another job, right? <laughs> so if you know of any other church which is a sits. It, but it's true. The reason why he says that is because it's true. We, we think nothing alike. We think about different things. And when we're thinking about the same thing, we're thinking about it differently. That, that's just the way, that's the, the, way, the way it is. And if this is news to any of you, all I can say is you haven't really been paying much attention the last few years, right? <laughs> right? But here's the other thing you really, you really need to know about this, about this the staff team here at TBC and the elders and the deacons. You, you need to know this. I do not know a group of men and women who are more united than we are. I do not know a group of men and women who are more you know, who, who trust each other as much as we do, who, who uh, enjoy the kind of harmony and unity that we enjoy. Now, maybe you know of some other church, you know, maybe that's just my bias. But, but I'm telling you, I don't know if you know how unusual this is to find this kind of, in an evangelical, the leadership of an evangelical church, to, to find the, the kind of unity which, which sustain these kinds of numerous differences and support this kind of intellectual freedom that we enjoy at TBC. And here's how it works. Okay, here's a secret, and it's, it's really no secret. It's, it's actually very, very simple. Here's how it works. There is this person called Jesus Christ. And he is Lord of lords, and he is King of kings, and he is God of gods. And he has prayed one thing, not a thousand things. He's prayed one thing for his church, and he's prayed that we would be one, that we would be united. And this same king has issued a decree. And his, the king's decree... The decree of the king is that we would love one another as he has loved us. You know how he loved us? He died for us. He sacrificed himself. He gave himself up for us. That we would love one another as he has loved us. So it's all my ideas and ideals, the things I get really passionate about sometimes and will argue fiercely for, right? Well, all of those things, in the end, get trumped by Christ. Jesus Christ trumps everything and absolutely nothing gets to trump Jesus Amen. Nothing gets to trump Jesus. And so you know what would happen if I'd ever pulled away from my brothers and sisters, if I ever got cold around them and all prickly around them over one of these issues, if we ever pulled away from each other and broke dead to break fellowship over one of these things, you know what it means? I'll tell you what it means. It means that an idea, an idea has become more important to me than loving the person right in front of me. What could be more important than that? If the decree of the king is that you would love one another as I have loved you. What it means is that an idea has become more important to me than loving and serving and caring for the person right in front of me. And when that happens, we know that the really evil thing has happened. And I'm not just throwing that word around and I don't use that word lightly. The really evil thing has happened. And that is an idea has come to trump Jesus Christ himself. And so this is why the Apostle Paul, later on in in, in chapter 4, as we saw, he, he calls this demonic Right? he calls it demonic. He says that these people are teaching things taught by demons. And again, Paul's not just being polemical there. he's not just trying to be harsh there. That's not what he. He's just calling it as it is. He's calling it, and, and when we understand why he's calling it demonic, it makes perfect sense. See, the demonic part of this is not the fact that there are some people, there are some people who, who thought they, they, one day was holy and another day wasn't, or, or that some ate meat and some didn't. Right? He, he, Paul was cool with the fact that there are always going to be these weirdo hippie vegetarians around the place. Okay? He, he knows that. My wife and I are two of them. Right? He, he knows. He's fine with that. He, he, knows, he knows that there are always going to be the, these people who say, this, this day is really sacred to me, and someone else is going to come along and say to you, it's sacred to me, it's Tuesday. You know, this, this is always going to be the... That's not the demonic part. The demonic side of all this is when this stuff becomes doctrine, when this stuff becomes devotion. You know what, you know what doctrine, what happens when something becomes doctrine? It, it means we're starting to build our life on it. It means our identity becomes wrapped up in it. And Paul is saying to them, tell these, command certain men to stop teaching false doctrine. Why would you want to build your life on and have your identity wrapped up in something other than the person of Jesus Christ? Quit teaching this false doctrine. He, he also says, tell these people to quit devoting themselves to this stuff. Devoted, think about what that word devotion means. If you're devoted to something, it really doesn't leave much room for anyone or anything else. If you're devoted to this, maybe it means you can't be devoted to one another in brotherly love. If, you're devo- if this idea, you're truly devoted to this idea, this idea is going to trump your brother and sister in Christ every single time, and they don't stand a chance. And, and, and so, and so the, the Apostle Paul says, he says, quit this doctrine. Quit quit this doctrine and quit this devotion. And, and he says, and here's the reason why I'm telling you this. Okay? You can imagine Timothy receiving this letter. He's this young pastor, Timothy, and he's thinking, oh, great. Now I've got to have that conversation. Right? I mean, no, no pastor wants to have these kind of conversations, but he's got to have this conversation. So Paul reminds him, he says, here's why I'm telling you this. He says the goal of this command, he says in, in verse uh, 5, he says the goal of this command... Is love the goal of this command? Is love? I just want to spend a moment thinking about how this might might play itself out in our lives. You know, I'm part of a pretty interesting uh, small group at the moment, and I I love my small group. We've got people in there who, and by the way, before I. Um, describe this. First of all, for reasons that you'll see in a minute, I can't name names. And, uh, and, and also, I want you to know that this has nothing to do with my wife and I. If my wife and I were to leave this small group, everything I'm going to tell you about it would still be true of this small group. Okay, so there's nothing to do with that. This is, these are the, just the facts of this small group without us. Right, so there's, a, this, this, there's some people in our small group who are six-day creationists. In other words, they believe that God created the world in six literal days and and that the the earth is only several thousand years old and they are convinced that this is the best way to read Genesis chapter 1 and that this is the best way to reconcile science with with that. They're they're convinced of that. In the same group that meets in our home on a Tuesday night, there are some people there who are uh, theistic evolutionists. In other words, they believe that evolution was the mechanism that God used, the tool he used to bring about all of his creation. They're convinced of that. And and these are people at the opposite poles of that spectrum of debate. Well, it gets a lot more interesting than that because that's just scratching the surface, really. There there are also some people in this group who were never big fans of the policies of President George W. Bush. Never were. and, And that's putting it mildly. You know who else is in that group? We've got a guy from Secret Service in that group. And in the Secret Service, yeah, <laughs> and in Secret service he, he, heads, he heads up security for President George W. Bush at one of his residences, and he 's got all these cool photos of himself and his family uh, with President Bush of the white House and, and all of that in the same group, utterly different poles of, the, of, of that debate. I guess more interesting than that. Uh, I know this is a hot topic right now, um, but uh, there are some people in our small group who really believe that uh, we we should just get rid of guns. That that would be the way to go. We just got to get rid of them altogether. They really believe that. You know who else is in this group? We've got a guy in this group who is not a gun collector. You're thinking too small there. He's not a gun collector. He's a gunsmith, right? We've got a gunsmith in this group. And the kind of license he's got, like only a dozen people in the entire state of Texas has this kind of license to manufacture the kinds of weapons he's manufacturing, Okay. Now, this, you want to know what the gunsmith gave to the, uh, one of the anti-gun members for Christmas? <laughs> I know, it, it sounds like the beginning of a joke, but, it, but it's not. This is real, okay? So the, the gunsmith gave to the anti-gun member for Christmas, he gave him a Lee Enfield World War II rifle. An amazing piece of history right there. And he, he, he dismantled parts of it to make sure it couldn't shoot, being sensitive to his brother's sensibilities. <laughs> now, the, the, the other thing... Is you should know that uh, the other interesting thing I think is that the, 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 the six day creationist is not necessarily the, the gunsmith and the gunsmith is not necessarily a bush fan. I know sometimes we like to join those dots and put these people in those boxes but, but, but you know people are always a little bit more complex than the categories we like to put them in right but here's the thing you need to know about this group these people love each other they care about each other heck they even like each other you know they do. You know, I sat in one, of, in one of our prayer meetings the other night. It, it was a, uh, a couple, of, couple of Tuesdays ago. And, and I listened to these guys share what was going on in their lives. couple of guys utterly frustrated with the way things are at work. I mean, just utterly frustrated with that. One, one of the guys had been ripped off and conned in business. Another one had been lied to repeatedly by his bosses. And, and these guys were very honest about their not-so-godly thoughts they were having at that moment in time, right? and And some of you know how that is and and then, and then some of them were, were sharing about the, 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 the their parents and the state of their marriage that they were very concerned about and and, and another one another guy was was sharing about the, about the, the health of a loved one these guys These guys are are transparent with each other. Week after week, I sit in in those groups, and what we do is we split off. The women go in one room, the guys go off into another room, and we we pray for each other. And I sit with those men, and they're transparent about their hurts, their disappointments, their hopes, their ambitions, their sin. They're vulnerable with each other. They're transparent with each other because they trust each other. In fact, one of the guys, uh, the the secret service guy, he he was praying this uh, a a couple of weeks ago. He he was saying, God, I am so grateful for this small group, for the men and women in this small group. I'm thankful for the men in this room who you have made such a blessing in my life. And God, I am so grateful to you for for the fact that we would be be there for one another. We know we would be there for one another in a heartbeat. Whatever it was, we would be there for each other at, at, at a moment's notice. And I tell you what, when he prayed that prayer, I was like, man, surely this is what Jesus envisaged. Jesus, Surely this is what Jesus envisaged at that first supper. Not the last supper. We know about the last supper. But, but if there was a last, there had to be a first, right? So the first supper, when you had... Matthew, the tax collector, sat at one end of the table who had been collecting taxes for the Roman enemy foreign occupation. And at the other end of the table, you had Simon the Zealot who wanted to see the bloody, violent overthrow of that same foreign Roman occupation. And as they sat at each other at the ends of those tables, they, they, they eyed each other with suspicion and they viewed each other with contempt, in utter contempt. But by the time they got to the last supper, I don't think it was like that anymore. I think those guys were sat next to each other. And as I th- say, they broke bread, and as they drank from the same cup, as they drank that wine. As my brother prayed that prayer that evening, I was thinking, surely this is, thank you God for these people in my life. Thank you for the blessing that they are. Thank you for the, for the, uh, for the fact that we know we'd be there for each other. As he prayed that prayer, I, you know, I was thinking, surely this is what the Apostle Paul was thinking, what he envisaged right? as he wrote these letters, especially his letter to Timothy, who was pastoring a church in Ephesus where you had people from all over the world, all sorts of different nationalities and backgrounds and ideas and people who thought that one day was sacred and others who didn't, who thought this food was sacred and others who didn't thought that Rome was a cure and others who thought that Rome was a disease. But you see, Paul was never aiming to get these people united around this stuff. That was never his goal. He was never trying to get them on the same page and united around this stuff. What Paul wanted them to know was Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and king of kings. He wanted to preach Christ and him crucified. He wanted them to understand. If they understood nothing else, they had to understand that Jesus Christ trumps everything and absolutely nothing gets to trump Jesus Christ, our king. You know, I I bet there are some of you in, in small groups just like mine and you've got stories just like that. Uh, from your small group, from your Sunday school class, from your own circle of friends. P- people who are from utterly different walks of life have just come see things completely differently. But you trust them and you love them. And yeah, you even like them. And, and, and these are people you would call your, your dear friends and you care about them. If you've got those kinds of stories this morning, you know, I, I, would, I would just encourage you, to, would you come by the office and tell me, or sit in my office, and, or, or Gary's office, and tell him? Or, or put it down on paper, email it to us. We would love to hear those stories. And what I'd like to do over the, over the course of this series in, in Timothy, I, I would love to be able to hold up those stories before the rest of the body. Because you know, we, we, I'm, not, I'm not promising I'll be able to use all of those stories, but, but as, when appropriate, when we can, I'd love to be able to hold up those stories because we need to hear those stories, right? These are the stories that need to be told about what Jesus is doing in our midst. On the other hand, maybe you're scratching your head this morning thinking, I don't really see how that would even get started. But may, may, maybe some of you, have, if, if that's you this morning, I, I want you to just think about some of your most cherished ideals and ideas, Right? Those things that are really precious to you. My precious? You know, that, that's, 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 that's current again, so that's legit, right? I can do that still, again. Right? So, so, so the things that are really precious to you, the, th- the things that these ideas, You know, the stuff, if you're wondering, well, I don't know what that is, what's the stuff that gets you shouting at the radio when there's no one there? Yeah, yeah that stuff, yeah, or the TV, right? We all do that. We all have stuff like that. Okay, what are the, imagine someone coming along and tearing those ideas at one side and down the other, doing their best to demolish those ideas, to undermine those ideas. Now, can you love that person? Can you, sir, can, you, can you like that? If you're sitting there thinking, I can't imagine ever loving or liking or caring for someone like that, or you're asking me to trust them. I couldn't have a genuine friendship with someone like that. If, if, if that's what you're thinking, then here's my advice. Check your heart. Check your heart and see that an idea... Check and see if an idea has not come to trump loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get on your knees before, go home and get on your knees before God. This is urgent. And ask God to shine his light in, into the, the, the darkest recesses of your heart. And ask God, God has something else, an idea, come to trump Jesus Christ. I realize sometimes we'll be tempted to pull away from each other. I, I get that. Sometimes we're tempted to, to divide, to pull away from each other, to grow cold. I, I get, sometimes, sometimes we'll be tempted to think, you know, it's just going to be easier if I go off and find some other people who, who agree with me on this stuff. You know, it's just going to be better if I get people who agree and sign off on all this long list of stuff. You know, that would be better. Okay? Wouldn't, wouldn't that make us more united if we agreed on all this? Wouldn't it make us more united? The answer to that question is no, it wouldn't. Because that's not unity. That that That's just creepy. Okay, Seriously, that's like Stepford Wives creepy. It really, you know, that, that's, that's not unity. That is uniformity. You know, we've talked about this difference before. This is a very important distinction to make. It is not unity. It is uniformity. And so, like I said, it's creepy. It's Stepford Wives creepy. It's David Koresh creepy. It's Jim Jones, let's drink the Kool-Aid together creepy. Paul says it's demonic creepy. This stuff should make our skin crawl. This stuff should make our skin crawl. You know, the, uh, the Apostle Paul says, quit this doctrine and quit this devotion. That the point of all this, the, the point of this command is love. It's love. You see, if we go about making something else the grounds of our unity, something else other than Jesus Christ, the dividing line, you know what we end up with? We end up with someone like, I don't know, you, you know how many of you know who Kim Ramsleben is here this morning? Yeah, a bunch of you, because she teaches a bunch of you here at this church, right? Great teacher. And so imagine she comes along and, and she draws a, a line over over here, okay, because she's some sort of left-wing loon. My left, your right, I guess. <laughs> and, and then we, we, some of you know who, who Bob Weber is, yeah? He, he teaches, uh, he, uh, he's taught from this pulpit, he teaches a bunch of our leaders here at TBC. He's one of the elders at, at TBC. He's all right, I suppose. He's, he's not a, yeah. So let's, let's say he comes along and he draws a line over, over, over here because he's some sort of a right-wing fascist, okay? So he draws some line here. And, and, then, and then over here, Glenn Brenly comes along who's also a teacher who's taught many of you here. He's got a Sunday school class here. He's taught from this pulpit as well. And so he draws a line somewhere here. You can see the trouble here, right? If I stand with Bob, I've got Glenn and Kim looking at me. They're like, yeah, the, the line's over here. The line is over here. You've, you've got it wrong. And then if I stand over here, well, you get the picture, Right? You understand what's going on here. If we make something other than Christ the dividing line, the grounds of our unity, what ends up happening is different people draw different lines in different places and you know where it leads? It leads to our condemnation. The Apostle Paul says, you want to turn this stuff into doctrine? You want to turn it into devotion? You want to turn this stuff into law? He gets on to the law in verse 8. Remember, Paul's the Pharisee of Pharisees before. He knows all about the law. You want to go at that with him? He says, let's talk about the law, he says. He says, the law... He says the law is good, but then he qualifies it. He says only if you know it's proper use. Only if you know it's proper use. And he says here's the first proper use of the law, he says. He says we know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious. You know what this is a description You know what this is a description of? This is a description of every single one of us here without Jesus. This is what it looks like to stand before a holy, righteous, perfect, sinless God without a savior, without a mediator. This is a description of every single one of us without Jesus. In other words, the the first proper function of the law is condemnation. Condemnation of sin and condemnation of all of us who have sinned. So Paul says, you want to turn this stuff into doctrine, devotion, you want to turn this stuff into law, be my guest. Go ahead. But this is where you end up. Now, we'll find our unity, all right? Our unity will be in our condemnation together. But Paul says, I prefer the." I prefer, he says in verse 9 and 10, the glorious gospel, the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, there is so much more in, in, in chapter 1 and chapter 4. that what we, we can't look at it this morning, but what I want to do is we're going to circle back around. So when we get to chapter 4, uh, later on in this series, we're going to come back and tie up some of these things in chapter 4 and chapter 1 to, to, together again. But for right now, I just want to close with, with these words. And again, this is, this is uh, going to be our closing prayer. Uh, These are the words of Christ. I pray that all of them at Temple Bible Church may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given Temple Bible Church the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that Temple Bible Church may be brought to complete unity. And all God's people said, Amen. And we're dismissed.